Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact with Eric and his guest by phone at 522-WTIC. Email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. And I'm Dennis. And we have Connor Phoenix in the studio. He's a special agent with the FBI. Welcome, Connor. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Yeah, uh, definitely. We've been wanting to have discussions with folks uh, from the, the New Haven crime folks for a while of the FBI, and, and you were nice enough to say, yeah, I'll come on. And so we're here with, with Agent Special Agent Phoenix to talk about what the FBI does. Uh, well, I guess we'll start with that. Um, and what, what, are you, what are you focused on down there in New Haven? Well, our office does a number of things, but certainly my squad in particular focuses on computer intrusion. So if there's been a hack somewhere... Um, in the state of Connecticut, that gets our attention. Uh, it doesn't have to just be someone who's trying to steal your money, although that is certainly, by and large, the, the bulk of the reports that we get coming in, but it, mm -hmm. it could be someone who's ideologically motivated, yeah. uh, someone we might call a hacktivist. Yep. Uh, it might be a hostile nation state, or it could even be a terrorist activity. So uh, our work runs the gamut. Now we were talking a little bit off air. You know, a lot, a lot of folks think about when they're when they're something happened to them personally or their business. They think of the police, um, but you'd like them to think more of the FBI too. Not more, but maybe in conjunction with. You, could you make a report to both agencies? Absolutely. There's been plenty of instances where someone has called their local police department, and that's totally appropriate. Yeah. And then put a call into our office or. What we often recommend for uh, cyber intrusion is that individuals reach out to our Internet Crime Complaint Center. It's uh, You can find it at IC3, that's the uh, letters IC and the number 3.gov. And there's a, a big red button on the main page to file a complaint, and uh, that will get routed to us as well. But there are a lot of ways to report to the FBI. That's That's, you know, just one. Right, and you'd encourage it. Absolutely. Um, so as far as what you guys are doing or what we should be aware of as as individuals, as businesses, you know, is this, is, is cybercrime, you know, just, you know, a, a small aspect of the crime that's happening out there or is it a, I'm trying to have folks understand how large the issue is without, without making the question so obvious. How big is this problem is what I guess I should say. Sure. Well, I, I can tell you just, uh, Fraud, just cyber, you know, cyber-enabled fraud, yeah. um, and we can certainly talk about that. You know, nationally, that's been averaging over three billion dollars a year. 
um, just one category of, of that kind of fraud um, that doesn't even take into account what might be colloquially known as pig butchering or investment fraud, and, and, and that's certainly been a growing trend over the last couple of years as well. Yeah. Um, so that that's one aspect. Here in the state, uh, the last couple of years, we've been, at least based on what's been reported to us, we're looking at $30 million plus per year from Connecticut residents lost to uh, cybercrime. And the, the type of crime that, that you might find, especially in a business or what have you, I mean, invoice theft is a common thing that we're seeing, you know, even in our client base where clients are trying to figure out why they weren't paid and their, you know, their customer said they sent the check in, but it never got to our client. And it turns out that their invoice was stolen and redirected. That is incredibly common that I probably get something almost once a week. That's a variation of that. I think historically, uh, that might have been known as like uh, as CEO fraud. So you might yeah. have seen emails yeah. to accounts payable or VP of finance, uh, generally with some sort of sense of urgency. Listen, we're in the middle of our mergers and acquisitions. I need to transfer these funds. Um, that has absolutely broadened over the years. But yes, frequently we'll see some diversion of funds, sort of a man in the middle attack. Yeah. where someone has either through a spoofed email right. or through an actual email compromise at one or both parties is now privy to that discussion and will divert funds to a fraudulent account. And to, the key to that, obviously, is security. You can't, you know, password security, two-factor authentication, those types of things have to be utilized to limit that man in the middle from logging into your Microsoft 365 account with a password of ice cream. Yeah. It, it is, but uh, even more basic than that, I would I would focus on employee awareness and training, yeah. um, sensitizing your workforce to the fact that phishing emails come in, uh, you know, extremely frequently um, to make sure that they know that they need to not click on links, and so that's that's something, frankly, even my own organization does. Um, I, I know I talk to many companies that. Those that have the resources will periodically send out phishing tests to their employees just to make sure that they're aware of that. Well, that's all the security yeah. awareness training yeah. in our instance. And, you know, you talk about resources. Our, our, our approach to, for our customers to do security awareness training on a regular basis costs $2.50 a month per user. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. For the potential loss, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So but, it's you know we like to approach this very affordably yeah. for our clients, and uh, it's really a no brainer. Um, but so many folks don't understand the the scope or the scale. You don't understand it until a hundred thousand dollar invoice meant for you doesn't get to you. We've had institutions in the state that have lost over you know millions of dollars <gasps> yes. over a span of very short time. Well, so. we talked we talked yeah, about it. I mean, yeah. I think C.H. Nickerson sent uh, oh. no, the town of Farmington sent two million dollars that was supposed to go to C.H. Nickerson to somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, that was all over the news. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it in New, in New Haven, um, millions of dollars that were supposed to go to a bus company didn't go there. And another thing, in addition to controls like you know technical controls over your credentials. And doing things like phishing awareness, there have to be business procedures to deal with it too. Because if you see an email telling you that money for some transaction needs to be sent to a different bank uh, account number, well, there has to be a procedure in place that tells people that they need to verify that. Yeah. And they need to verify it over the phone with a trusted person at the other end. Right. And as long as you can have that in place, that can really 
you know, stop up a lot of the mayhem. That is uh, absolutely one of the pieces of advice that I do give companies. And I have had some, some businesses in the private sector tell me, well, for us, that's not feasible. We get too many requests. And, you know, if that's your business operation, fine. But certainly, I think for most small to medium-sized businesses where that's a, a less common occurrence, absolutely having a solid phone number ahead of time and verifying that I think is, is a great practice. You know, I, I can think of one instance, however, where uh, that was the process in place. Uh, the employee made the phone call, but then no one answered. So they followed up with the email that had come in. Oh, geez. And unfortunately, oh, the email was, no. you know, the bad guy. The bad guy. So, <laughs> you know, even with the right process in place, yeah. I think, you know, employees are trying to do their job. They're trying to do the right thing. And I think along with all of this, and there are other internal processes I think you can, you can massage, um, I think making employees feel comfortable to raise concerns up um, I think is very important. Uh, it, it, I think back to an instance where we had some school districts in the state who were solicited for W-2s. Now, the solicitations were seemingly coming from, you know, executives within the district. Um, and in one instance, uh, that information, that the W-2s were provided without question. In a second instance, um, the employee did question it to her manager who unfortunately said, go ahead and send it. Ah. Um, but it bothered her enough the next, you know, the next day that she was willing to, to go back. And that's when they realized that they had been uh, duped into sending out this information. Right. I always find it funny. You see all these shredding companies out there shredding your documents and you're literally, instead of shredding them, you're sending them electronically in a nice Excel spreadsheet <laughs> to the bad guys. <laughs> well, nicely formatted so they can actually search on your social security number and who they want to go after directly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the reason I, I one of the biggest jokes on this on this show that I've always said is, "What's your password?" <laughs> it's really what the phishing schemes are doing. They're simply asking. It's not even that complicated these days. They're simply reaching out and asking for the information, and we're giving it to them because we're being duped um, simply with social engineering. Um, as far as the FBI goes, you know, is there anything specific that? You would you have any kind of uh, focuses that businesses should be thinking about? We talked a little bit about security awareness training, obviously, but is there anything that we should be more vigilant about? Is, are you seeing a trend in a different in any kind of types of attacks? Um, you know what what should we be even more cynical about these days, if there is anything? Right. Well, typically the uh, the types of things that I talk to businesses about tend to focus on a couple of different buckets. And we've already touched on briefly one of those, which is sort of these business email compromises. Um, by volume, it is hands down the number one problem that we continue to see. That has not changed dramatically over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then certainly ransomware. Uh, I would say from a dollar loss perspective, that is not as impactful. But from a business continuity perspective, it absolutely is. And... Uh, that you know gets into a lot of issues in terms of do you know do you have an incident response plan? Have you trained with it? You know what does that entail? Um, the the FBI has a, a very keen focus on ransomware. Uh, we tend to our offices tend to specialize. It's very inefficient to have fifty six offices all focused on the same group. Oh, okay. So uh, you know I I like to joke that I I don't need. Uh, a partner in the private sector to know how the sausage is made. But certainly one of our first questions is going to be, 
do you know what variant of ransomware you were hit with? Because that allows me to figure out who's the expert. Is it going to be someone in my office? Is it going to be someone else in another part of the country? Right. And from that point, you know, we can sort of go forward and try and help that victim uh, handle their situation. But you definitely don't want to be in the middle of a crisis trying to figure out who do I need to call and, and what steps do we need to take now? Right. So do that tabletop exercise, do that, you know, incident response. Um, you know, when, when we talk about ransomware, we, we literally mean your computer is completely encrypted, un, unusable. So and these ransoms will actually spread across all of your systems if you don't have the right tools in place. Uh, they'll move laterally. They'll encrypt the entire operation, whether it be servers, workstations. You see it in school systems. You see them in hospitals all the time. Um, businesses are becoming smarter about it. However, you know, uh, Colonial Pipeline, I mean, they had all their not their actual functioning systems that delivered the oil wasn't encrypted, but their back office was, and they were worried about it passing. So you need to do a tabletop exercise to to ask yourself, what what would we do if? And the CISA has plenty of examples of that. SANS Institute does as well as far as what tabletop questions you might ask. The problem is it's always a lack of imagination these days. I mean, we didn't imagine planes flying into a building. You You need to imagine what these bad guys are doing. They're already thinking of the next thing. Right. I mean, you know, with ransomware, it's you, you would think at this point most companies would be aware that they should back up their data. Um, unfortunately, we still see instances where um, those backups are connected to the networks. Literally hard drives on the servers. Right. I know. Oh. We see it all the time. We can't uh, we can't we can't uh, uh, we oh. can't understand why. Yeah. Or I can think of instances where uh, there was a, a air gap system uh, mm-hmm. or a cloud option. But that required a manual process that wasn't implemented for about a year. Oh, my goodness. Um, So, and of course, you know, the bad guys are certainly, they're savvy to the fact that companies are trying to employ these um, more viable backups. And so they look for opportunities to continue to try and make money. So I would say, you know, going back three, almost four years, uh, by now the bulk of the ransom groups out there will not just encrypt your network, but before they they do that, they will take a lot of your data, right. uh, knowing that if you back up, that's fine, but now I'm going to threaten to publicize your data and hopefully create some additional pressure on you to pay. Right. Well, we're gonna we're here till uh, 11 o'clock. We'll have Special Agent Connor Phoenix in studio the entire time to chat about what you need to be aware of as an individual, as a business, um, as far as the cybercrime that's occurring and where the FBI fits in and how they are helping us uh, do what they can to, to uh, fight back. So we'll be right back. All right. We are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. We're here until 11 o'clock. And we're lucky enough to have Special Agent Connor Phoenix of the FBI, uh, the New Haven Division here, the cybercrime group, uh, here in studio to chat with us about uh, what's going on out there and what the FBI is doing to uh, keep us safe. Welcome, Connor. Thank you. So you've been attacked. You've been encrypted. You've you've had an incident, whether it's personal or a business. Um, you know, reporting it. Why should they? Why should why should people or businesses report this to the FBI? Sure. Well, um, you know, one of the concerns that I hear from people is, you know, I I lost. $10,000 or I lost $15,000, you know, the FBI is not going to investigate this. Mm. Um, and that's possible. Uh, there are a lot of factors that go into deciding whether we actually open a case on something. And frankly, that's also a conversation that we have with our partners at the U.S. Attorney's Office 
here in the, in Connecticut. Nonetheless, um, what I do try and tell people is you never know a couple things. One, your victimization is almost certainly tied to other crimes that are happening. And so while it may not be that your particular matter rises to the level of you know, dedicating FBI resources, um, we may realize either then or down the line those connections and be able to bring that into a broader investigation mm. that's happening, if not, again, in our office, somewhere else in the country. The other reason that I impress upon people the, um, the benefits to reporting is um, criminals make mistakes. Uh, a lot of criminals will use uh, anonymization services to try and hide their identity, but as I'm guessing both of you know, technology fails from time to time. Oh my gosh, I've always thought really? cybercrime cyber is <laughs> kind of the dumbest thing because there's some zero or one connected to it. And uh, and certainly uh, there's an old case that if we end up talking about it, uh, uh, where that was the that was one of the keys to us being able to identify our, our subject and ultimately arrest him overseas. Mm-hmm. And so um, it may be that uh, you are one of you're an early victim right. of some particular criminal and his operational security just is very good or her come on or her i is you know i i, I haven't had a, a female defendant yet in 20 years but it's very possible yes. i don't want to rule that out yes come on um and so uh you know it but it may be that uh, there's an ip address or an email address or something some bit of information that we can follow up on that right. perhaps wouldn't be available if you didn't report right like their fitbit um so <laughs> You guys are catching the bad guys then. You're actually able to do this. You're like you brought up that overseas uh, example. What what happened there? What was there? With it, with, well, if you can tell us where their trip up was, maybe you can't because it's an inside thing, but what happened? So in this case, uh, we my, my old partner and I, and I should be clear in case he's listening, this was his case. I was his co-case agent um, at the time, but um, we were investigating a botnet, which I'm happy to describe for your audience. Yeah, please uh, do. So uh, computers get compromised by criminals. Those compromised computers can be used for any number of things, but there are instances where criminals will collect a, could be hundreds, thousands, up to millions of these compromised computers and coordinate their activities. Right. Uh, in this, and, and those collection of computers would be referred to as a botnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, our subject uh, was running a spam botnet which might sound somewhat innocuous. Uh, I mean, lots of people get spam. I get spam. If you can stamp it out, we're all for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this case, you know, his his customers, um, and for these criminals, it, it is a business environment. So his customers um, would purchase spam for various reasons. So it might be to send work-from-home scams. It might be to send what we would call pump-and-dump scams. So they would artificially inflate the value of you know, penny stocks, mm-hmm. and then sell that to make a profit. Um, it would send out links to pharmaceutical drugs that people could buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and on occasion, it would also send out more uh, serious malware, so banking trojans, um, ransomware, things like that. Right. So he was a facilitator of the botnet that people would then rent access to. He would, he controlled the botnet. He'd send out the spam. Um, he would just take in request, I want to send a a spam campaign that would do X or do Y. And he would charge for that. And he would charge for that. Yes. So Regular old business guy. 
just a business guy. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, you know, he was in the criminal underground for, I'd say, about 20 years. Wow. Um, his botnet had gone through several iterations uh, by the time that my partner and I started looking at this in 2015. And keep going. We have about a minute. Okay. Um, well, when we get back to it, I can tell you that um, through, through, through a lot of hard work and some steps that I can elaborate on, we yeah. were able to identify him and, and go get him. He knows radio. He's teasing you to stick around <laughs> for the next yeah. half hour. <laughs> so we'll hear about those uh, those t- those tricks that they, they pulled on this guy to catch him. So I'm excited to hear about that. So stick around, guys. Special Agent Connor Phoenix from the FBI is here. We're here till 11 o'clock. And uh, so join us after the news. We'll be right back. Phoenix of the FBI, talking about some of the things the FBI is doing to protect us uh, and go after the bad guys and take them down. And he was talking about a story about a case about a botnet that was being utilized uh, to deliver all sorts of stuff and uh, how they, the FBI, were able to catch this guy. But we didn't get to that catch yet. So, <laughs> right. So. What did you do over there, David? I mean, uh, Connor. Uh, so you know. Obviously, this, this, as I said, this botnet had been around for a while, and, and one of the key takeaways from our investigation, um, something that I was already very familiar with but I think is important for people to realize is the importance of partnerships mm-hmm. in what we do. Um, in this case, uh, it was partnerships not just with um, other law enforcement organizations um, domestically and and both and overseas, both partnerships internally. Uh, we had assistance from our office in Anchorage mm-hmm. and partnerships with uh, cybersecurity researchers and with academic institutions. Nice. So um, in this case, some of those partnerships um, paid some early dividends. Um, they had been tracking the activity of the spotnet um, and were able to identify what they believed um, was what we would call a command and control server. So yeah. Basically yeah. A, a computer that our bad guy was able to operate and control his botnet from. Now, um, in reality, he had multiple servers set up throughout Europe, Mm -hmm. um, and he would move his C2 around. Um, But ultimately, we were able to identify it, and with the assistance of one of our um, foreign partners, we were able to what uh, is akin to going on a Title III. We we would capture the data coming to and from that computer. that gave us a lot of information. Um, it also pointed out the limitations that come with encryption. Encryption is a great thing. It allows for privacy. But yeah. as an investigator, it makes the job quite difficult when most of the data you're trying to look at is unreadable. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, um, I talk about finding little mistakes or little needles in the haystack because we're, we're trying to solve a mystery, putting a puzzle together. Right, right. Because we have to be able to say, and our, our federal prosecutor has to be able to prove that a human being behind a keyboard somewhere in the world was responsible for all this activity. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we were able to find um, in that data that we were getting 
was an account ID for an antivirus uh, service. <laughs> and we went to yes the bad guys use antivirus <laughs> listen everyone has to be safe <laughs> so we went to that company which also was overseas and yeah. they were able to respond back and they gave us our subject's name which we had already had an inkling of but this was helping helping to verify this I love, um, it. I love it our 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 bad guy would also accept uh, a form of online payment from his customers uh, the sort of a precursor to cryptocurrency. Yeah. Now, like all good criminals, he would try and anonymize his IP when he would connect to this payment service. Right. But again, going back to what I said about technology failing, um, you know, over the span of our two-year investigation, there were, you know, one or two instances where that uh, virtual private network that he was using to hide his true IP uh, failed and dropped, and we were able to find a real IP address right. coming back to Russia. Gotcha. And on top of all of this, um, it just so happened that we were able to identify the type of uh, mobile phone that he was using, um, the operating system running on that, and ultimately some of the applications that were resident on his phone. Um, we could see where those um, applications and where that phone was getting updated from. It matched with our IP that we'd been able to find. Um, and among his uh, apps was one that happened to capture GPS data. Sure. And uh, I, certainly unbeknownst to him. And not only would it capture GPS data as he moved, but it actually would capture the uh, SSID or uh, think of this as a, as the Wi-Fi name when you would connect to various Wi-Fi oh, yeah. networks. So you could actually trace where he's been. We which, could, which Dunkin' Donuts he was at or which That's right. McDonald's. So we, we could do a number of things. We yeah. were able to pinpoint uh, what apartment building he was living in in St. Oh, Petersburg. Yeah. Uh, we could watch him travel. And then, uh, in fact, prior to his, uh, his arrest, uh, we had, were able to figure out that he was you know, busy skiing in France, which I thought was you know, just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, then he made a, a tactical mistake and decided to spend a month in a very sunny uh, country mm. that we have an extradition treaty with. Nice. And so uh, my partner and I flew out there. Uh, we worked with the national police. And within a matter of a few days of us being in country, they were... Uh, at his temporary residence and taking him into custody. Congratulations. Ooh. Yes. One hey. down. One down. But a your, million to go. But your point is well taken. I mean, e these technologies that these bad guys are trying to utilize, they, they fail constantly. Um, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Um, the one comment you made that kind of struck me a little bit was the person behind the keyboard that controlled the command and control computer, right? The person behind the computer. Is there going to be an issue with AI at some point where you could separate yourself even one step back by having your AI do the dirty work for you, and think, that's not going to be a person? I think certainly that is a potentiality down the line. Yeah. Um, when people talk to me about artificial intelligence right now, um, our issues tend to be a bit more grounded in uh, other issues. For instance, um, uh, there are concerns about the implications for child sexual abuse material mm. and what does AI mean if you can generate something like that and, and do our statutes need to be changed to effectively address it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we also, you know, the, 
going back to our conversation about um, business email compromises, yeah. Uh, historically, back in the day, you might joke about getting your Nigerian prince letter or your international lottery. Still works. Still works. <laughs> yeah. um, oftentimes, there were a number of grammatical errors, but I certainly am concerned that uh, programs like ChatGPT, other AI-generated uh, uh, conversational programs are going to be able to make that natural language translation very fluid and make it mm -hmm. harder for individuals to identify as fraud. And certainly it raises concerns in terms of being able to authenticate yourself. If someone can match your voice um, coupled with your PII, which is for most people readily available out on the dark web, yeah, um, then that poses challenges as well. So PII guys, just so you know, it's when you answer those Facebook things and ask you, they ask you about your favorite first car or your favorite teacher or your favorite concert. These are all security questions too that many institutions ask you, so that when you call up, along with your voice print, they're going to say, "Hey, who was your? Where, you know, where did you first grow up?" And you've given it out. That's right, and it's your date of birth and your social security number. Those kind of very unique things that identify you as you. Right. Um, they have value to right. criminals for a variety of reasons, identity theft just being one of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as I talked about, you know, this being a business, there is a marketplace for, for PII as well. Yeah, it's cheap. Well, we should talk about that. How, how, how you can gain all this information fairly inexpensively if you want to be a bad guy and set up shop. You can. Um, and it is surprising, I think, to anyone who's not in this line of work, but I could spend anywhere from uh, $100 to a couple hundred dollars uh, buying account access to just about any corporate network that I wanted that happened to be for sale. Uh, sometimes that value goes up, but the, the bottom end threshold is, is quite low. That's scary. That is scary. So we're going to be here till 11 o'clock talking more with uh, Special Agent Phoenix about what the FBI is doing out there and what you guys can do to be aware of it and how you can report it and how you can be a partner with the FBI to help cop, uh, capture these bad guys. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the dark web and, and, and something called crypting, which I had never heard of until Special Agent Phoenix brought it up uh, off air. So we'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Conversation with Special Agent Connor Phoenix of the uh, FBI here out of New Haven in the Cybercrime Division over there. And we just, <laughs> I'm joking a little bit off air. I got to tell you about this story though. I was telling him that my uh, my cell phone uh, Wi Fi uh, is an FBI van XYZ PDQ, whatever it is. <laughs> and he had gotten some calls about people who were saying, hey, I see FBI van XYZ PDQ. Isn't that crazy? It was. I, I tried to insist that even though we're a government agency, we are a little bit better about our security than that. So I. <laughs> I promise we won't name our surveillance vans uh, like that. Right. Uh, if you see that, it's not them, guys. Come on. Uh, it's too funny. Um, I, always, I also usually use get your own Wi-Fi. But okay, so we're here with, with uh, Special Agent Phoenix. Let's talk about the dark web. I mean, what is the dark web? Uh, it's kind of confusing to people. I always thought of it as purely Tor, but it may not just be the Tor network. Right. It's not just a Tor network. And, and for those who, who don't know, Tor just stands for the Onion Router. It's a... Uh, a set of uh, servers that are across, you know, anywhere across the world. Um, but the people who host them, you know, they don't make them. Uh, they're not compliant with law enforcement. Mm-mm. They're not publishing their IP addresses. So it's it's a way to hide the services that they offer. So you might find people selling guns, drugs, uh, child sexual abuse material, right. um, any number of things. Um, but to your point, yes, there are other sites that you can visit if you know where to go right. um, that serve as forums or marketplaces for cyber criminals. Some of the more prominent ones tend to be uh, Russian language based, right. um, but I'm sure you can also find a fair number of cybersecurity researchers on there as well. And this is why we always talk about having a web filter employed at your home and your business, uh, because you're literally right up against these networks, whether you think you are or not. I mean, literally the bad guys are within arm's reach of you. And if you don't filter out that traffic using a secure DNS service, um, like OpenDNS or, or an umbrella service through Cisco or whatever's out there, you're, you're making yourself more vulnerable to being tricked into going there, as far as I'm concerned. I swear, I swear the Tor network really became a thing when Napster was a thing. Uh, does that make sense to you? Does that ring a bell? It does, absolutely. Um, that's not where I got my mu- mu- music and movies, but uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, I would say even for I, I can think to multinational companies that we deal with, and some of our recommendations end up being: listen, you don't have business in you know whatever countries you know are are we're talking about. Why don't you filter out traffic so you don't get 
um, right. internet traffic from the X, ripe y, or Z. network, the entire ripe network. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And we we've tried to do that even with clients, yeah. and even even they are like, no, we want to leave it. Oh, we want to. We may get a customer. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uzbekistan could be a possible customer for you. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> any kind of filtration you can put in and actually exclude these networks. The sad part is, of course, they can VPN into other areas of of America, land on a local server, and still be the bad guys. But it's harder. No, it is harder, and I, I look at it as any additional barrier that you can set up to right. so that you're not the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, that sort of also gets into issues of patch management. Uh, you know, I still frequently give advice that I've probably been giving for 10, 20 years in terms of password complexity and making sure that your software and hardware are up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are sites that you can go to where you can scan for known vulnerabilities and find victims readily available at your fingertips. And if you're a criminal that can exploit one or more of those vulnerabilities, you now have new targets. Well, that's another good point. I mean, Heffinum, right, was a, something, I think I'm saying it right, where the, the, the Chinese folks there were exploiting exchange servers. And there you simply could just ping the server and it would respond back, yep, I'm here, ready ready to go. <laughs> you know, ping is just, you know, it's a, as you know, it's just a basic computer command that's built yeah. in. And a, a lot of the more sophisticated adversaries that we face will yeah. often use uh, built-in commands. They don't have to bring their own tools. Um, we would often refer to that as living off the land. So uh, you don't even necessarily find something resident on your on your system for someone to be able to do malicious things as long as there's a vulnerability to exploit. Right. It's a vulnerability. It's something innate in the software. In the case of Exchange, it went back to some of the oldest versions of Exchange continued. So the the irony of your comment about making sure your software is up to date is also kind of an oxymoron when it comes to the fact that you updated Exchange, but it continued to have that problem all the way through every version that you you installed. And that's the frustration I've always had with Microsoft. Um, and I guess there's some senators that are going after Microsoft about their, their lack of security too, but I don't want to drag Connor into that. Um, <laughs> crypting. You brought up crypting, and I had not heard of that before. What is What is that again? So I think people might get that term confused with encryption. Right. Um, crypting in the world of cyber criminals, uh, the, the most easy analogy would be if I presented, if I bought you something, uh, a clock, but then I put wrapping paper around it, you wouldn't know what's inside. <clears throat> and so crypting is essentially putting a wrapper around malware so that it's able to bypass antivirus software. It's part of that ecosystem that we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the gold standard for a cryptor is to make your malware fully undetectable or FUD. So if it can bypass Windows Defender, McAfee, Norton, all the major and AV software that's out there, then that malware can live on your computer longer. Right. There are technologies out there that we're employing for our customers that, uh, through SonicWall that actually looks at encrypted information and tries to to uh, sandbox the uh, the delivered product, whether it be an attachment or what have you, to deal with that issue. Uh, but that only comes in these next generation technologies. So if you have an older system out there, you haven't updated or replaced this to be able to look at encrypted data like that. You're you're vulnerable. It's going to pass right through like it's like it's a clock. That's right. I mean, certainly the you know these uh, companies will update their definitions frequently, um, and so there is a shelf life, but Obviously, you don't want it to live any longer than possible. Right. Common scams, things that the FBI want us to be aware of. Uh, definitely want to you know, let you tell us what we should be on the on the lookout for. Sure. Uh, one that comes to mind uh, right away 
has to do with uh, the real estate closings, yeah. whether uh, potentially commercial, but frankly, we see them frequently in the residential sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to buy your house, you've saved up your life savings, and in the midst of your conversation with the seller, the seller's agent, maybe a, a law firm, um, you're told, listen, you need to, no, actually, I need you to wire that money to this other bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I look at it as a variation on a business email compromise, but mm-hmm. in this case, it's impacting our, not a business, but our, our citizens. Right. And people are losing, you know, tens of thousands up to millions of dollars. We had one individual just within the past week uh, report over a $4 million loss during mm-hmm. one of these types of scams. So I would just encourage anyone who's um, in the market to uh, buy a home to just be very diligent, make sure that you have a legitimate phone number if you're being asked to wire money that you can call and verify that you're sending it to the right bank account. And I, I think I brought, I talked to you a little bit that, about this yesterday um, in our pre-interview. Even when I bought a place in Florida, I was I had that same trepidation because I had to wire money to the to the bank down there, and uh, because everything is back office. You're not dealing with the folks that you initiate the transaction with. You're not dealing with the lawyer. You're not dealing with the the mortgage lender person. You're dealing with some back office. And their email systems and their methods of communication just seemed a little sketchy to me, even though I knew I was doing the transaction. I didn't want to do it. Um, so you really need to be be sure of where your ACH is going. Um and I think that applies to your your personal information in general. You, I shared an example with you offline where yeah. you know I'd been contacted by my health insurance company, and it almost certainly was a legitimate call. Right. But they called me and then started asking me for my information, like my date of birth, to identify myself. And of course, my response is, "Well, I have no idea who you are. I know who you say that you are. Right. But I'm not going to give you this information. I will call back at a number that I know is good. Right." Um, and you know, does it create a little bit extra work for me? Yes. Um, does it help do me? It. Does it help me protect myself? Yes. Yeah. Then I was trying to think of a similar example myself and, uh, actually it was with a credit card. I had bought something that happened to be overseas. It was a I don't know, UK purchase and the credit card, you know, it's going to shut it down. It seemed, seemed inappropriate. And that's fine. I'm glad they did that. And then, so my app is telling me to call the fraud department. I'm all doing all this. So I, the app tells me to call the fraud department and I do. I give them all the information. I, I confirm my identity. They then want to ask me more identity questions, and I start getting nervous. I start feeling like, well, you just confirmed me. Why am I not confirmed enough? And then they say, well, you can always call back this number. And then I did do that. I did exactly what you did. Even though I knew I was talking to the legitimate right. company, I still didn't feel comfortable. And that we shouldn't be that way. No, no, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I I try and teach my own children. You know, it's you need to be. It's good to be trusting right. um, and extend trust to people. But in uh, in the online world, unfortunately, that that will get you victimized. Uh, I remember an old cartoon, probably fifteen twenty years old, of uh, a dog sitting at a keyboard, and the caption is, "You know, on the internet, no one knows you're a dog." And, uh, you know, I, I, I've not forgotten that. Um, anyone can say who they are uh, behind the keyboard. For the first half of my career, um, most days uh, people thought I was a 13-year-old girl. So, um, you know, it's, you just have to be very protective of your information, not your money right. and, uh, and your personal information. Well, Special Agent Phoenix, we've been happy to have you. 
Is there anything you want to let people know as far as how to contact or, re- or any more information about what they should do to get more information about what the FBI can do for them? Uh, I would, again, just emphasize if you have a cyber incident, please reach out to ic3.gov or you can call your, your local office in New Haven and we'd be happy to try and assist you. Pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Very good. We'll have you on again if, if, if it's okay with Charlie. <laughs> so I want to thank Carolyn for producing I want to thank all you guys for calling in on the show everything we've talked about has been posted over at computertalkwithtab.com and over at our Computer Talk with Tab Facebook page there the, the network there if you'd like to join us and uh, don't forget we're going to be having a veterans concert over in Bristol so go check out Rock, uh, Rockwell Park the new, the new school there and remember we want you to be geeks too see you next Saturday We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.